Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Join the Aging Reimagined circle at womenover70.com. Promote your books in Books by Women and invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're very happy to be talking with Stephanie Raflock, age 70, who lives in Austin, Texas. Stephanie believes in the power of women's stories and courageously has made her own life an open book. In her recent publication, Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women, Stephanie narrates her earlier path that included dropping out of high school and experimenting with drugs and promiscuity. Imagining a better life at age 35, Stephanie enrolled in a progressive college that stimulated her midlife awakening. And now a published author, blogger, speaker, and frequent guest on podcasts, Stephanie uses these platforms to promote what she calls a new set of archetypal qualities of older women emphasizes the courage, confidence, and creativity they bring to living life on their own terms. So welcome, Stephanie, to Women Over 70. Thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. (laughs) It's our pleasure. So Stephanie, you write um, so openly in Creatrix Rising about your early experiences. And I wonder if if you could share some of that background with us. and, and say a little bit about the kind of the social cultural context that was what was going on during that that time. Well, I was a child of the 60s and the 60s was a turbulent time, not unlike what we're living through today, where there were a lot of social norms being turned on their heads. Some of that change is good. And then there's also some lunacy that rides the edges of change. And so part of um, coming of age in the 60s was that there was a big drug movement. Um, Timothy Leary was um, professing tune in, turn on, and drop out. Um, You had people like Dr. Albert, who worked with Timothy Leary, who then brought the whole guru scene to this country. And um, I think that the drug generation was not a drug generation just because people wanted to get high. I think that the drug generation was in reaction to the ramp up to coming of age. And here's what I mean by that. In 1963, our president was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. In the 19. 70s, well, still in the 60s, we saw um, the assassination of Martin Luther King, of Bobby Kennedy, um, Kent State happened, and yet there was no cultural conversation about what to do with all this trauma. There was no cultural conversation as to what to do with all this grief. So we were left to our own devices. And as such, a lot of people vulnerable to what had happened during those years took the path of self-medication, the path of drugs. So the drug culture was not just about getting high. It was in reaction to um, what we had grown up with and how different the world looked to us than what had been promised to us. Mm -hmm. And so your own, uh, as you just, you know, write about in your book, you, you had your own years of experimenting with, with drugs and, um, 
on the way to gaining your voice at, at age 35, when we talked earlier, you said that you, you decided to go to college because you had dropped out of high school. And now, so you went to college and what was that? What did that prompt for you? What was the awakening that you experienced while you well, were in college? I think, you know, awakenings, I suppose they can be quick or they can be slow, but I think that my awakening was kind of a, a slow drip that it, it took a while for me to gain the confidence that I needed to even recognize that this was an awakening happening in my life. Um, going to, dropping out of school, I certainly didn't feel smart when I dropped out of school, nor did I feel smart after I was in school. So when I got back to college, I began to, and by the way, I went to college and earned a GED, which is a general education degree, a high school equivalency at the same time. Um, it didn't occur to me that the act I was taking was very courageous. It's just that I was, I was tired of lying about my education. Um, I was tired of feeling bad about myself. So I went back to school and the awakening was slow. I, I discovered, first of all, that I actually could be a good student. I discovered that I had the capacity to be deeply curious and thoughtful about things. And I also discovered in those early years at Santa Monica City College, which is before it was called a community college, um, that I had a talent for writing. And writing became for me a doorway into the examined life. Writing is still that for me. There's a kind of fidelity between me and the examined life that takes place around the ritual of my writing. So um, that's what that awakening was about. But, you know, it's a funny thing about awakening, because I think when we're young, we think that awakening and then enlightenment and wow, I've arrived. But the truth is that you guys know that I know is that no one really ever arrives. Hopefully you awaken, you reinvent yourself again and again and again. And we learn from our mistakes and we grow. We learn from our failures and we grow. And the whole purpose of being a human being is this idea of psychological and spiritual growth that happens on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. That's so well said. Um, so you wrote a book before Creatrix Rising called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if that's in that book that you talk about the, the origin stories about women aging that need to be re, needs to be rewritten. Is that when you started or was or did you were well, you working I think, on that before? I, I think I touched upon it. A Delightful Little Book on Aging was really just a book in response to what it was like to be in my 60s and mm. suddenly be thought of as old. <laughs> it's like, you're kidding me. This is it? Really? <laughs> so a delightful little book on aging. I love the title of that book because you don't often see um, delightful and aging in the same mm. sentence. Right. But it's time that we saw more of that because what I learned in the decade of my 60s is that aging is a remarkable and noble passage. And that's really what that book was about. It was about not being done, not being finished with life, not wanting to give up on certain dreams and aspirations, you know, stick a fork in it, you're done. Um, and then Creatrix Rising was the book that grew out of that, which is about the different archetypes and how women are in a position right now where um, we are rewriting 
that whole maiden mother crone story. I mean, first yes. of all, think about mm-hmm. it. Maiden, I mean, you know, maiden, barefoot, virgin running through the forest. It just doesn't apply to anybody, any young <laughs> woman that I know, right? Right. And, and the motherhood story desperately needs to be rewritten because, you know, motherhood is this mishmash of, you know, being raised up on a pedestal, you know, the Madonna, um, all motherhood and all its purity and mothers should be able to do anything, but don't do anything for your own life. And then when motherhood is over, you're done. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the crone, which is my least favorite word. And I know that there have been groups, and I'm sensitive to those groups that have sort of reclaimed that word and tried to dress it up. But as a word nerd, um, the etymology of that word is very unattractive. It comes from the old French word carrion, which means the rotting flesh of dead animals. And it was used as an insult. It meant disagreeable old woman, period, the end. Mm-hmm. And that's where that whole sense of insignificance, irrelevance come from. So I don't like that particular model. So I think all of that needs to be rewritten. But the part that I wanted to rewrite was the part, of course, that I'm in, which is this crone part. And say there has to be a better word. And so in looking around with my editor, we came across the word creatrix. Actually, she sent it to me. I thought she'd made the word up. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, that's kind of cute. You know, I'm like creative, creatrix. No, it's actually a word. So it comes from the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the weaver was called the creatrix, which literally means a woman who makes things. And mm-hmm. I thought, that is such a better description of what life from the midlife point onward is about. We are women who make things. Um, a great example of that is in the 2017 midterm elections. More women ran for local, national, and state politics um, mm-hmm. positions over the age of 50 than ever before in our country. Mm-hmm. So um, we are women who make things and you guys are making things. You have a podcast. So it's like life has not stopped for you. And I think that more women feel the way that we do than not. There's no question about it. And, and, you know, I really like this tech that you're taking to explore who, what, so if we're not those old models, then what is it that we are? And you talk about archetypal archetypical qualities. Can you say some more about that? Well, archetypal qualities are, um, it, it just means like typical. It means typical. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're the qualities that become so ingrained in a personality that they're recognizable. So if I say warrior, we have a sense of what that is archetypally. Mm-hmm. If I say old witch, we all conjure up the image of what an old witch is like. And these are, uh, these qualities come to us through stories and myths. And we turn to them to learn clues about human behavior. And so for a long time, we've had the same archetypes for aging women. And it's just time for new ones. I do think that if Carl Jung were alive today, he would agree with that. I think if Maria von Franz, who worked closely with Carl Jung and and gathered all the fairy tales of Europe and they disseminated them together, I think she would say that too, that 
this is a time when the whole idea of anima and animus, this is a little Jungian, a <laughs> little Jungian nerd out for your listeners. <laughs> animus refers to male qualities. It has nothing to do with gender. It just refers to male qualities. The anima refers to female qualities. So women always have animus within them and are looking to integrate the animus. And men always have a little bit of the anima, the female qualities, and are looking to integrate that. So here's an example of archetype and anima and animus. We all know the fairy tale Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And Sleeping Beauty, what happens at the end? She gets kissed by the prince and she wakes up, right? Uh-huh. Except that if you reinterpret that for today, what's really happening is that she's being kissed by the animus, by her male qualities, and she awakens to this stronger, more powerful part of herself. Mm-hmm. It's like seeing the, the dots of um, in the yin and yang symbol. In the, in the white part of the circle, there's always a little black dot. In the black part of the yin and yang symbol, there's mm-hmm. always a little white dot. And so anima and animus work in the same way. But you can see how as our views of ourself change, that the qualities of anima and animus change, and therefore the archetypes must change too. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, can you talk a bit about uh, your own journey from pre-college and, and now that now you, you're an author, you're a, a you know, you speak, you're, you're out there with a pub, very public voice. What, what is that? How do you, how do you, how do you see yourself at this point? Well, at this point, I still see myself as a work in progress. I don't see myself as someone who has arrived and, and I hope that I never do. I want to be a work in progress. I want to wake up every day and be curious. What am I going to learn today? Sometimes, you know, at the beginning of a new year, I'll choose a word or you'll see online, people will say, choose a word, you know, to mm-hmm. like say what this year is going to be about. So this year, um, at the year that I turned 70 is about being a student. And I love being a student. And I see myself as a student of life, as an observer of life in all its majesty and all its sorrow. I pause because I, I'm just I take really taking in everything you say. You say it so eloquently. Thank you. Um, you know, I told when I uh, we talked before the interview. This interview told you that I I got Creatrix Rising. I was going to skim it, uh, and I spent the afternoon reading the whole thing. And so, tell us a little bit more because I was so in and just entranced by it. If you could tell the, our listeners a little bit about the comp, the composition of the book, the, the kind of the architecture of it, what what could they look forward to taking away taking away from your book? Well, in a certain way, the book is my story, but in another way, the book is every woman's story. I talk in the in the first part of the book, I talk a lot about my grandmother who I was very close with, and my great-grandmother, who I never met, yet she came to me on the day that I scattered my mother's ashes. And sometimes women, I I think that we're so innately in tuned with the universe and creativity that we experience things beyond the veil, as one might say. Mm 
So here I am a young woman and my mother has passed and um, I drove her ashes up to this little town in Elbert, Colorado, which is absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous area of Colorado. It's the town that she was raised in as a little girl. And it's amazing that some developer hasn't come along and just, you know, built subdivisions there because the hills are so beautiful and the view of the plains is so beautiful. And we scattered my mother's ashes. And when I say we, it was my brother and uh, my niece and my great niece and I, it was a very small and simple ceremony. And we sort of wandered around the town of Elbert a little bit. There's an antique store there that um, used to be a church. And I knew from what my mom had told me when she was alive, that that antique store slash church was the church that her grandparents helped to build when they were establishing that community. And so as we are leaving the town of Elbert from scattering her ashes in the hills, we see the Elbert Cemetery and we take a left-hand turn and we go up the cemetery road. And we have no idea where we are, but exactly where I stopped the car within I would say 50 yards of that were the gravestones of my great grandparents Mm -hmm. and for my great niece, her great, great grandparents. So the first time you were ever, ever there. The first time we Mm -hmm. were, I was ever there. And Mm -hmm. what a beautiful experience. I felt like I had been invited in Mm -hmm. by them and I felt like they were there and they were going to greet my mother somehow. So um, that type of story, you know, it's like if we explore our past, we all have an experience somewhat like that. And so the first part of this book, Creatrix Rising, is about a younger Stephanie in a time with my grandmother, this great grandmother that came to me a little later, and my mother. Now, the, the reason I bring up my grandmothers and and whatnot during this time is that the women before us paved a way and paid a price, just as we pave a way and paid a price for the women that are behind us. Mm-hmm. When you when you get older, one of the nobilities of growing older is that you hold a light at the front of the line to illuminate illuminate the path behind you, and behind you not only stand the younger women of the world, but your your lineage, your grandmother, your mother, your great-grandmother. Now, my mother was a woman who worked at a time when um, mothers didn't necessarily work. Moms were stay-at-home moms. But my mom was divorced, and so she worked. And I remember a day when she came home and said that um, she had quit her job. Well, even as a little girl, and I think I was 10 or 11 at the time, I knew that we depended upon her salary to keep us going. And I asked her why she quit. And she had told me that she um, had a new assistant, um, a guy, and um, she was really working well with him and she was excited to have help and she could delegate and she felt like she could help the company grow, except she found out he was making more money than she was. And she had been with the company the longest. So she went to her boss and asked why. And her boss, and this is like, you know, the early 1960s, her boss said to her, well, Cleo, he has a family to support. And my mother said, yeah, so do I. And so she quit on principle because it was all 
that she could do. It's, you know, this was long before the Lily Ledbetter Act, right? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was what women did. And I think that when the changes that we see in our culture with women being allowed to be CEOs and astronauts and sports figures and do whatever they do, we forget sometimes that our mothers, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers are, um, you know, a million of those women took a million little steps and helped pave a way and they paid a price so that we could live the lives that we live. So that's the first part of the book. The second part of the book goes into, um, gosh, I don't have the book in front of me. So, but, but it goes, oh, okay. Well, the second (laughs) part of the book, I think I is where I talk about women that I see as creatrices. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talk about the creatrix as healer, the creatrix as artist, because we've all known creatrices. And if you, if you think about it, you think about those women that have inspired, I think of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I, I mean, I was a huge fan and she was a woman that inspired us all because she, she went against the current. She fought the system to gain a place at the table and she became beloved. To not just her generation, but to generations of women who will learn about her and study her for decades and decades to come. Um, the book also goes into my own process of finding voice. And voice is not something that is just bestowed to you one day. You don't wake up one morning, or at least I didn't, and say, hey, I feel confident today. Life's going to be different. I think that, you know, confidence and insecurity, it's an ebb and flow in our lives. And uh, women are still grasping and grappling at how it is we gain a confident voice and stay with a confident voice. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I want to show in Creatrix Rising is that, you know, it's not enlightenment. It's not that you wake up one day and you have it all figured out. This is an ongoing process, hopefully until the day you die. You know, I um, in part four of your book, I found just seems to fit so perfectly with what Gail and I are are hearing from women, many women that we talk with, and you, it's about celebrating, and and it's about celebrating friendships, soul work, forgiveness and grace, and then your own story. And I it seems to me those those four elements are. Um, such the essence of continuing for us to continue to grow and 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 thrive and be in connection with each other. And I was just very happy to see those those four. You highlight those four four yeah. areas. And, and friendships are so important, aren't they? Mm-hmm. You know, women tend to outlive men. So sometimes, you know, if if we're with a different sex partner, it's like we can be alone. And what gets us through are friendships. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, soul work, you know, is the, that's the inner work. That's the juicy inner work. That's one of the great gifts, I think, of age is that, you know, I finally slowed down enough to sit and reflect upon my life, to contemplate life, to um, show a fidelity to that inner work, because that's where the development is in these later years. 
You know, it's not the outer career and, and the outer mm-hmm. machinations and, you know, the house and the accoutrements. It's, it's very much pulled inside of oneself. And there's a lot of goodies there. It, say a little bit about forgiveness and grace. Because I, that, that's a theme that tends to um, show up as when, at the, when we talk with women who are a bit older than you, women in their 80s, and they... Uh, this is something that they, many of them really kind of focus on, that they've reached that point in their lives where they're open to forgive and they want to be living with grace. Well, and forgiveness is really liberation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You liberate yourself from the grievances of your life. And as you get older, a lot of those grievances of your life, it's like, gosh, do you even remember like what started all that? You know, it's like, it's just easier, I think, to let go of. And also because another gift of the older years is you're making peace with all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm making peace with all of this because, you know, I I see the horizon. That's where eternity lingers. And so as I move toward that horizon, I want the grace that comes from forgiveness. And Mm -hmm. I do believe that, you know, it circles back around to friendship too, is that grace is what women give to each other. We really give that to each other. And um, we're certainly capable of giving that to a younger generation as well. And I, I believe that without forgiveness, without soul work, without, you know, this sense of, of grace, um, we can get stuck and this is not a time to get stuck. We want to keep, we want to stay fluid. We want to keep growing. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. So Stephanie, you, um, you finally qualify for our podcast because you, your April 1st is your 70th birthday. If I'm correct on that. You are correct on that. <laughs> so early happy birthday. And Thank we're you. so happy that you're moving into this phase. So how do you think about your own aging? If, if, if you think about it? Well, you know, I, I love the aging process. I mean, really, the only thing that has drastically changed for me is that physically, I don't have the same amount of energy that I used to. I don't have the energy to burn that I did when I was a teenager. Um, I don't have the same level of athletic prowess. But I love my life. And isn't that what we want at every decade of our life, is to love our life to be curious about life and um, to do some little bit of good, some modicum of good in our world. So I'm curious, Stephanie, do you, uh, you're a writer, of course. And so are there other books in you that you want to write about? Yes. I'm working on, I'm working on a heartfelt project right now that was unintentional, but it came to me. I'm with a little press company. Um, She writes press. And I went to my publisher after the second week of the um, war in Ukraine. And I said, I really want to do an anthology of of writers from She Writes Press about um, these kind of unbearable times how art plays into these unbearable times. And, and right now our, our, our title is art in um, times of unbearable crises. And of course it applies to Ukraine, but it also applies to what a lot of us went through in COVID uh, 
what um, toxic politics has done to our country, the divisiveness, the sense of of anger and lashing out and name calling that has replaced policy debate. Um, so this is an anthology that will be out sometime this summer. I mean, we're rushing this through like nothing has ever been rushed, but we had close to a hundred submissions from the She Writes Press authors who wrote about loss and love and hope. And um, some of these pieces made me cry because it made me feel that I was connected to this, that art in general wants to come forward. Creativity in general wants to come forward during the worst of times. Mm -hmm. That's really how we got through COVID when you think about it is that people found creative ways to either work at home or to, um, there was a lot of rock painting going on in my neighborhood. <laughs> it was absolutely charming. Kids would paint these rocks and they would, you know, have messages of hope and love on them and, and they would place them around people's gardens anonymously. Or kids would draw on sidewalks. You know, they would put little messages of hope and rainbows and things on the sidewalk. And I know this didn't just happen in my neighborhood because I've talked to women from all over the country. And this was a phenomenon that really happened all over the country. And it's like the kids were tuned in. It's like, this is how we're going to get through of us, this. We're going to find ways to create. <laughs> so. Just on a, on a smaller scale, perhaps, but this, that creative, creativity wants to come forward during hard, difficult times. So many of the women that we interview are, are expressing their, their, their selves, their creativity in different ways. A lot of women are writing uh, and they're doing podcasts and they're uh, holding retreats. And they are, I think, in a deeper conversation with one, one another than, than maybe in, at any other time in their lives. So I, I like the way you frame that. Why I think that's true about the conversation, isn't it? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, there have been times when I thought I just can't handle one more Zoom meeting. <laughs> but honestly, I don't know what I would do without all the Zoom meetings that kept me connected the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. So if, if we think of aging as, as a, on one hand, a hard time, then the creativity is, I think, in terms of what you're, you would say, is that it's the creativity that moves us into the, you, you use some lovely words of, of um, oh, I forgot them now, but um, of joy and creativity and um, it's a word that you used a lot that I really like. Now what happened to it? Oh, I didn't know it left my mind too. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. I'll, have to, I'll have to put that in later. You're right that the, you know, that things like joy and creativity, you know, all those things feed into each other. Mm -hmm. And um, this is, I think that older age is filled with gifts. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that doesn't know much about older age, except what's mm -hmm. reflected to us on the television screens. Mm -hmm. And that's just a really inaccurate picture of what aging is. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope for a world at some point, I don't know if I will see it in my time or not, where elders and younger people interact more than they do now. Because I think that we have mm -hmm. something to teach each other. I think that we can mentor each other. Mm -hmm. 
And um, we do ourselves a terrible, terrible disservice in this society when we kind of quarantine off these places. It's like, well, I can't relate to you because you're a mother and I'm not in the motherhood phase. Or I can't relate to you because you're 18. Mm-hmm. Um, my my husband and I, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, my, my husband and I have a, uh, a young man down the road from us that is 17 years old and a high school senior. And occasionally he drops by and he talks with us. And he loves talking with us and we love talking with him. And it's such a great relationship. What we, the inspiration that we draw from this young man, the hope that we draw from him. And it's like, wow, if we're leaving the world to people like you, we're in great shape. And, and similarly with us, he wants to hear about what life is like at this end of things. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I hope for more of that. Um, and, and I think women are the, the ones to bring it forward. Yeah. Yeah. We would, we agree with you for sure. And where, where is your book uh, available, Stephanie? Just about anywhere you can get a book. (laughs) You can, you can find me on Amazon. You could go anywhere online, Barnes and Noble, Target, uh, bookshop.org, any of those places Mm -hmm. um, would have the book. And um, I don't know about your local bookstore, but if you ask your local bookstore for it, if they don't have it, they'll get it. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's a good thing for us to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today and um, such a, a illuminating conversation. I really appreciate it. Well, I really enjoyed being with you guys and I love the work that you're doing in the world. Keep at it. Uh, and, and, and you as well. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Stephanie. So listeners, subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. Visit womenover70.com to access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast, hosted by our Aging Reimagined Circle. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70 Aging Reimagined. 